0: Good morning. Good to see you guys today. You guys doing okay? Good. Um, hey, if you guys get a moment, uh, you need to go check out, um, I did the best pumpkin I've ever done in my entire life on Friday. Did you guys see it yet? I put it out there. So go to the Instagram, go to the overflow Instagram account. You can look at it. Um, but yeah it I did like the Redskins logo on a pumpkin and uh and i 'm telling everyone because normally i 'm not crafty um, that word's never been ascribed to me, um, at least not in the way of of crafts, but maybe in the way that Satan is crafty um, but but yeah, so uh, you can check it out if you want I actually uh uh, began, I took that picture and, and began tweeting like the Redskins and all their players, saying like trying to get them to retweet or something. And they never did it, so they didn't give me any love. So you guys need to give me some love with that. Hopefully, maybe Kirk Cousins is focused on other things. I'm not sure what that might be, but um, when I was doing the pumpkin, we we had a small group on Friday night, and I was like, I'm just gonna go for it and do like the best pumpkin ever. And uh, so um, I started working on this thing. And this little girl walks up to me in our spot, and she goes, "She goes, that's not a very scary pumpkin." And I'm like, "It is for cowboy fans, so, and most Redskin fans. It's also scary for most Redskins fans as well. Uh, so we'll see what happens today." Um, all right, so we're going to be in First Peter today, chapter two, and we'll get there in a minute. I want to do some recap week to week though with our series in First Peter. Um, and we said last week how we're going to repeat some stuff up here because uh, Jesus repeated himself, and so I'm going to repeat myself. To be, to be Christ-like, I want to repeat myself. So we talked l- last week about how loving Jesus demands that we also love his church. And we said that many people say things like, or they believe things like, um, I don't love Jesus, but I, um, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Now, people don't walk around and just say that, they, but they do but they do believe that or live that out, and so they begin to pull away from the church oftentimes, or they think all they need is Jesus and their Bible. I got Jesus. I got my Bible. I got this one friend I meet with, and that's all I need. I don't really need the church in the, in the true sense of the word, and, but Jesus and the church come as a package deal. They come as a package deal. They come together. And in the Bible, the church is called the bride of Christ. Jesus and the church are married when you look at the, the Bible and how the Bible talks about Jesus and his bride. And it's not just some cute analogy that God thought up. It's not like God was, had, had created the world and created everything and created marriage and then thought, you know, hmm, let me think of a, an analogy that I can give the people that might help them understand what the church is like. Oh, marriage, marriage will work. I really believe that God actually designed marriage so that he could picture an image to us what his relationship with the church was going to be like. It's not like God just pulled one out and said, oh yeah, it's kind of like marriage. Let's use that as a picture. I really think he designed marriage so that he could put before our eyes this picture of what it means for him to be in relationship to his bride, the church. So whenever I do a wedding, is, is Emily here today? I didn't see Emily walk in. I did her wedding. That's the last wedding, and it was Emily's wedding back in, I think it was back in June. And I always tell people at weddings that this is, the point of marriage is to give, God wants to give his people a picture of what the church is supposed to be. And this is why he gives us marriage, I believe. So, we cannot be someone who says, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. The two things are incompatible. We said that last week. Um, I said this in the main service about a month ago. If, if, imagine if someone came to me and said, um, Dave, you're a great guy. Um, I love hanging out with you. want to have you over to the house for some dinner um, with my wife and I. And, uh, but um, we're just going to ask you, Dave, to leave your wife at home we don't we don't like your wife. We like you, but we don't like your wife. So, how's that conversation going to go with that person at that point? Like I'm I'm going to you offend my wife, you're going to offend me because she and I we're, we're a package deal. Like we're we're together, we're unified. So, we cannot say that Jesus and his church are somehow separated. They are inseparable. And I think the way some of us live, we live as if Jesus is divorced from his church. We live in such a way as if Jesus is separated from his church. In the Bible, the church is also called, what? It's called the the body of Christ. And so in Romans 12, we see this. Paul talks about the, the church being the body of Christ. And so imagine if a man said to his wife, you know, I love you, but I just don't like your body. Like that's that's not going to go well either, is it? That's not going to work. And so the for for the for the woman, like she, you know, your your body, like that's that's part of who you are. You don't you don't separate those things. So Jesus and his body, they're also one. They're one. You can't um, separate those things. So um, some of you guys are going to graduate. In a few months, hard to believe that, isn't it? Um, seniors, I think most seniors are over here. You guys always—it's like you, you want to sit close to the door. You're like, we're already kind of ready to roll out of here, you know? Um, so you're 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 about to graduate in a few months. It'll be here before you know it. And one of the blessings of social media is that I, I can kind of track with people. Um, without having to call each one directly. So tell me how you're doing. Tell me how you're doing. But I can track with people just through social media, just see like what their life is like and what they're doing. And there are a lot of people where it's really, really encouraging when they leave here, and a lot of people where it's just really pretty depressing. And uh, and I'll just see what, what they're involved in or what their life looks like, and it, it can be pretty depressing when I when I look at um, the last 14 years or so. And, in fact, I met, I saw a guy this morning up in the main service. I was leaving the early service, and I was walking out, and I saw this guy. He was by himself, and he's a dad. He had a bunch of kids um, that went through our ministry here. And I said, tell me how the family's doing. And he's by himself uh, this morning. And he said, well, and he was just honest. He said, well, this, this one's doing this, this one's doing this, this one's doing this. He's like... All of them have kind of backed off their faith. They want nothing to do with it. Um, they won't come to church. I try to get them to come here, but they just won't come, and, and they wouldn't even really call themselves believers, many of them anymore. And so we just sat and talked about that, and I prayed with them this morning. And, and honestly, that is a story I hear very often um, when as a youth pastor. I hear it a lot. I hear a lot of parents tell me um, those kinds of stories. You know, be praying for my son or my daughter, because right now, here's where they are. And, and so I see it, and I know that you see it. I know you, I know, many of you, you probably feel it, the temptation. You, you, if it's not here now, it's going to be here later on, but you, you can sense those things coming. And so if I were to see you when you graduate, say, two, three years later, and if I were to ask you questions like, hey, tell me how your walk is, I don't want to hear just, you know, yeah, me and Jesus were good. Like, I'm still, I'm still good with Jesus. Um, I want to hear answers like, yeah, I'm plugged into this church. I'm serving in this way. I'm plugged into this community of people. And those are the kinds of things that encourage me. Because if I hear a student and they just say, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm reading the Bible and I'm, I'm doing the Christian thing. I'm, I'm doing that stuff. And my next question is going to be, okay, what, what church are you involved in? What people are you a part of? And if, if I hear, ah, oh, not, not really anywhere, and if that's the answer I get, like that, that to me, it feels as if you just said, I've checked out of the whole thing. And I'm not trying to equate with you. I'm not trying to equate this morning attending church and saying that you earn your salvation by attending i – I'm not saying that. But I am saying that I think people who are legitimate um, Christians – They are going to have a love for the church that's going to be a natural fruit of them being a Christ followers. They're going to have a love for God's people. So when someone pulls away from that, I start to question, okay, well, where are they at spiritually? And um, I just, I can't look at someone in that situation and say, you're a mature believer if that's the place that they have come to, um, even in college or beyond. And I see it so often. And... So I would consider it a failure. I mean, as your school, your schools care about how you do. At least I hope they do. They care about how you do after you graduate. They care about that. And we care here about how you do when you leave here and go on somewhere else. And if I hear a large percentage of people that leave here have just completely checked out, then yeah, I feel I feel the weight and the responsibility of that. I feel like that's somehow on us to an extent as a church, that we have failed some of our teens and our students. And I know it's, it's also on you as well, but um, it's why we try so hard to put God's word before you and disciple you and lead you um, as you follow Jesus. And, uh, and so we do take responsibility for that. Um, but we cannot, you cannot separate Jesus from his church. You can't do it. I want you to love him but also love his church. I've told you before about my church baggage. I had a lot of church baggage growing up. A church I grew up in was very chaotic. Went and worked for a church after co- in college and it was very chaotic. And nothing in me said, yeah, I want to work for the church like in a job, like nothing in me felt that way at that point in my life. And yet somehow I'm working in a church, and God's given me great love for the church. And one of my biggest, my biggest passion besides wanting you to love Jesus and follow Jesus is that you'll also love his people and love his church. And I feel like if we don't do that here, then, then we have failed, then we have not truly made disciples. And so this is why we're looking at um, this section, these sections of 1 Peter. Look down at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Just five verses today. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Last week, I talked to you about how we have to crave God's word in the same way that a baby craves food. And so now in verse 4, it's a transition statement. He says, as you come to him. Now, what this means, this means a daily personal relationship with Jesus. And then he uses this weird image. He says, of Jesus, he says, Jesus is like a living stone. That's a strange thing to say, isn't it? So why is that a strange thing to say about Jesus? He's a living stone. Well, number one, it's real obvious. Um, stones are not living; they're they're dead. They got to be the most lifeless lifeless thing that is in on our earth. This is a stone. It's it's just there's no life to this. It's not even a plant. It's just dead as dead can be. And so you're going to see a little pattern here in a minute as we get through this passage. Um, But why does he call Jesus a living stone? Well, it might be because at one point, you know, Jesus went into the grave. He actually died. And then he was raised to life again. And so in that sense, he is like a living stone. He's going to call um, Christians. He's going to say Christians are also like a living stone. What does that mean? Well, it means that, there was a point at which when you came into this world, you came into the world dead spiritually. And Jesus, when you become a Christian, Jesus breathes new life into you. And so, in a sense, you're like, you're like a walking contradiction. You are a living stone. You, are, you were once dead, lifeless, but now you're made alive. So, Peter has this image he wants us to latch on to. Um, He also reminds him, he says, Jesus was rejected, and if you ever wonder why you're rejected, you can look at the life of Jesus, and there's your answer. Um, It shouldn't be a mystery to us why we are rejected by the culture. Jesus was rejected by the culture as well. And then look down at verse 5. He says, you are also like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. So he has this image, and you're not just an individual living stone, but you are being built up, all the stones together, being built up as a spiritual house. So Jesus, the living stone, who was once dead, made alive, brought back to life through resurrection, we, like Jesus, dead in our transgressions apart from God, made alive, and now we're living stones. Um... And we are built up together in this way. So um, I also wonder if in the back of Peter's mind, if he had this image of a rock. Because what did Jesus call Peter? He called him a rock. He said, you're the rock, which is a very great nickname to have, right? If you're going to have a name, that's going to be a great name to have. Uh, So I wonder if Peter is thinking back on this image that Jesus called him a rock of the apostles. He's going to be a rock upon which I build my church. And Peter turns around. Of course, God is inspiring Peter to write. So it's not like Peter has his own words here. But Jesus is that living stone upon which the church is built. And you, all Christians, are also like these living stones. So that distinction of being like a stone or a rock is not just one person's. It's, it's every be- believer of all time and all places. That we are all like these living stones. So a few things I want you to see um, in this passage. In this first little section here. So you've heard us say things like, the church is not a building. And we know what that means. The church is a people. It's not a building. And we understand when people say that. But I'm here to tell you today that the church is a building. It's just not the kind of building that you might think of. The church is a spiritual building. The image that Peter's using here is a spiritual building, these living stones all being built up together in Christ. And we talked about how he's making dead things come alive. So there's this profound picture on display here that you're like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, a spiritual building. And so in that sense, we can say, no, the church is a building, just not this one right? The second thing we see in this passage is that we cannot grow spiritually by ourselves. The picture here is the building and all the rocks being in close proximity together, not isolated individuals, but we cannot grow spiritually by ourselves. The picture is all these living stones being built up as one big spiritual house together. You cannot grow in isolation. You cannot grow in isolation. You can't do it. Um, Again, it's easy to check out of places like youth groups. It's easy to pull away. We give you lots of reasons why you'd want to pull away from here. Trust me. But you must understand that you cannot grow spiritually in isolation. You cannot grow by yourselves apart from community. The third thing I want you to see in this passage is that the church is always under construction. The church is a continuous construction project. This is why you are so frustrated and agitated by the church. Because it's always under construction. A couple of years ago, my family, we decided to remodel part of our house. And part of that included the kitchen. And um, how many of you guys have had your family remodel things, parts, large chunks of your house? Raise your hand. Is it not most, the most frustrating thing when, like, the kitchen is not working properly? Isn't that the most frustrating? Like, we had no kitchen sink for, I think, over three weeks. And I forget how we even did it. We're, like, outside, like, spraying stuff off in the yard. You know, it just looked crazy. And it felt crazy. We had to spend a Christmas morning where we have pictures of, like, our living room and our kids. It looked like, it looked depressing. Like, all the, the cozy that you guys create in your houses for the holidays, none of that existed in my house that entire season. It was just a disarray and disorder, and it was crazy. Right now, you watch to the main building up there. Everything feels in disarray. Everything feels out of place because of the construction happening in the main building right now. There is something that's just unsettling about construction and things being under construction continuously. You don't feel fully at home. You don't feel settled. You don't feel at rest. And in a sense, this church, this spiritual building, is always in process and always under construction. And it's why you feel agitated and why sometimes it just annoys you. Because the church is always... In that place. In fact, if you go out to the front of the church, there's a sign that says, um, it says, says, pardon the mess. And it's referring to, of course, the construction. But you know what? When the construction is finished, we could leave the sign up. Because this is a messy place. We could just leave the sign up all, and it says, hey, pardon the mess. When you come in here, you're going to meet some messy people, some messed up situations. And so just know that coming into this place, the church is always in process, under construction. And it will be until Jesus comes back. That's just the reality that we live in. So what's the point that Peter's trying to make of us being this spiritual building that he calls us? this living stone spiritual building. If you look at the text, he's pointing it all to this idea of holy priesthood. Holy priesthood. So the point of us being a spiritual building is to be a holy priesthood. Now, what in the world does that mean? Here's where the church often gets off track. Because when we think of priests, we think of what? We think of the person wearing uh, the fancy robe and the person... um, who wears, like, fancy decor, and they walk around singing in Latin, right? We picture that person as a priest, someone who wears funny clothes, talks strange, and lives separate from people. That's the image of a priest. When I was in college, I worked at a, a restaurant, and I was working at a church also as an intern. And um, so the people in the restaurant that work with me began to know me, and they'd be like, oh, so you have this other job? What's your other? I'd say, well, I work at this church with some students, and they're like, oh. And they had no frame of reference for, like, what that was. All they knew was, like, there are preachers and priests, and there are people that go and attend those places, and that's it. They had no frame of reference for, like, you're, like, an intern or a volunteer. You're paid, but you're not really a full-time preacher or whatever. What is that? And this one lady, she was uh, pretty funny. So she started calling me. Instead of calling me Dave she would call me a man of the cloth. And that's like, that's like priest language, right? Like she'd go, she'd go, you're a man of the cloth. And I'm like, what? What is that? I wear, I wear T-shirts, man. What are you talking about? And so she saw me as like, okay, you work at a church? Like you're like, aren't you some kind of priest? You're a man of the cloth. And she saw me as like other. Like I'm, I'm separate from her people is how she began to view me. And I'd be like, no, no, I, but I, here I work with you. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like you are, right? And uh, so there's often this separation that we sense when it comes to this idea of priests. I have this, one of my favorite comedians is a guy named uh, Jim Gaffigan. And I guess he had a show that probably got canceled. Uh, but here's a little clip of his show um, in, in relation to his priest on the show. Let's go ahead and watch this. Jim? Jim? Oh hey, I didn't see you there. (laughs) The renovations in the church are coming along beautifully. Ah, that's great. That's great. Well, I'd I'd love to talk, but I'm kind of in a rush. Oh, not a problem. I'll walk along with you. Oh. Oh, okay. Hello, hello. Good evening. Hey, how are you? Good evening. Um, You know, I know you haven't lived in New York City that long, but you you don't need to be nice to strangers. In fact, New Yorkers really don't like it. (laughs) You're a very funny man, Jim Gavigan. By the way, I am starting a soccer team for the men of the parish, and I would love for you to be a part of it. Oh, uh, thanks. But, you know, I'm more of an indoorsy type. Oh, perfect. It's indoor soccer right here in the youth center gym you know i i don't want to be rude but i'm never gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> it's no wonder you're a comedian <laughs> i love comedy well it's nice chatting with you but i gotta head up to dinner so <gasps> take care <laughs> good news gene invited me for dinner uh, we can chat for hours yeah, all right um so he he obviously, he wants to cross the street, you know, he sees the priest, he's like, oh, the priest, I gotta go somewhere else. And, and so people think of the priest in our culture as being like, oh, you're over here, you're separate from the people, and so you're, you're high and lofty and holy, and so we don't want to be around you. In fact, I, I, I sense this dynamic whenever, um, if I see a student sometimes out in public and haven't seen them here in a while, um, I'll just be like, hey, how's it going? And they'll kind of get that nervous, like, uh, um, yeah, um. Uh, yeah, I've not been coming. I just have all this, this, I got this thing. And I'm just like, hey, chill, man. It's, it's fine. Like, I just wanted to say hello, you know. And uh, so not to that extreme, but I've experienced that where people see you as like, they want to kind of go the other way because they feel like, okay, you're this priestly person. I want to avoid you at all costs. And so when the Bible says that we are like priests, that might kind of freak you out. You might be like, no, nah, nah, don't, don't call me that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be un- like, you know, separate from people and seen in that way. But here's what I want you to understand about what it, means to be, what it means to be the priesthood as the people of God. Because this can sound strange to us. You know, we can start to see the church as like a holy huddle. And you might see it that way sometimes. But the point of being priest is not about separating from the culture and being like unapproachable. Because if you look at the Old Testament, Israel didn't just have priests. They were called a nation of priests. Why? Why were they called that? Well, here's what a priest does. A priest is someone who stands between God and people who need contact with God. A priest is the go-between. A priest is someone who stands between God and people who need contact with God. So it wasn't just that Israel had priests As a nation, they were to be a priestly people. What that meant was God did not choose Israel so they could get spiritually fat. They were blessed so they could be a blessing to other nations. As a nation, they were to introduce other nations to who God is. Did you know this? You might wonder why Israel was chosen. Like Why did God choose a nation? Well, he chose a nation to reveal himself through that nation so that the world would know who God is. But here's the problem. Israel was to live in such a way that other nations were drawn to God as well, not just themselves. And this is why, in the New Testament, Jesus is so angry at the Pharisees. Because these are the religious leaders of Israel. The nation had lost its mission. And instead of bringing people to God, they were keeping people from God. There were being a, a hurdle, an obstacle in the way of others coming to know who Jesus was. So let's talk about us for a moment. Do we live here so other people are drawn towards God or driven from God? Because the point of our salvation is not just for us to have our salvation, but um, you and I were blessed through Jesus to be a blessing to other people. This is why we have this thing called salvation. So imagine um, this, is, this would be like the responsibility that comes with getting your driver's license. How many of you guys have your license? Raise your hand. So not that many of you. Um, but when you, when you get your license, I imagine someone, uh, maybe a parent, maybe somebody else, talks to you about, okay, with this license, There is a lot of freedom, obviously, with the license. But with with freedom comes what? Responsibility, right? You now have a responsibility. So here's what that means. If you are driving down the road by yourself and you see a stranded motorist on the side of the road, this new freedom that you have now comes with it a responsibility to help someone possibly, on the side of the road. Now, I will warn you, make sure they're not a serial killer, right? You got to check those things. Ladies, I don't recommend that you do this, but the young men here, um, if you see a stranded motorist, like your role as a man is to maybe, maybe help. And, and so this is kind of like what a priestly, priestly role is. Like you're, you now have a responsibility to help those that are in need. And so here's some, some ways this might play out. Do you know that there are certain people in the world that only you can reach? I know you see it as the job of me or the leaders here. It's our job to reach people, and that's true. But do you know there's, only, there's certain people that only you guys can reach? So someone um, is so fed up with the hypocrisy they see in the church. And there is someone in this room that has been there and sensed that and felt that, and yet you're still here. And your role as a priest is to point that other person to Jesus and say, you know what, I've been there, I've felt that way, and yet Jesus wants us to love the church, and so I want you to come along with me as I do that and, and watch me as I do this. Or maybe someone in this room, you have, um, you felt... You feel bitter at God because parents getting divorced. Well, you're still part of the church. You'll meet other people that have that same baggage and background. And your role with them can be as a priest, you point them to God as they walk down this pathway they're walking down. Or maybe you're, you've been enslaved to some kinds of sin. And so you're going to meet people here that have the similar story. And, and your job is to point them to Jesus, just like someone pointed you to Jesus. So you can play these, these, these priestly roles with people as you walk the Christian life. Um, look at the next section here. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, and it's talking about Jesus. Now Peter's saying Jesus is like a cornerstone. And what does that mean exactly? Well, the cornerstone was the first stone laid. It was the perfect stone. They would, they would choose it. they put it on the corner. And every stone would be in line with that cornerstone in any building that they would construct. And there's a profound spiritual lesson here because we can ask the question, is Jesus your foundation? Is your life based on Jesus? And also, if we're to be living stones, is your life in alignment with Jesus? If any of the bricks are out of alignment, the whole building is weaker. It affects the entire thing. Your sin, my sin, doesn't affect just you and God. It affects the whole building. When you and I live out of alignment with Jesus, it makes the whole building weak. And so I hope you understand this. The next section, he says... So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what he's saying is when Jesus came, he was rejected. So when the builders, this would be the Jewish leaders, when Jesus came, they looked at Jesus, and he didn't measure up to their standards, so they decided You know, we're gonna throw him on the trash pile. Like we don't we don't believe he's the Messiah. So they reject this stone, but God takes the stone, God makes this the cornerstone. God takes the stone they threw away and as trash, and God makes this one, the stone, the living stone, Jesus, the cornerstone upon which he would build the church. And what's profound about that is in our culture today. People see Jesus as expendable. They see Jesus as trash. And this is the pressure you're going to feel from our culture. You're going to feel the pressure in the culture is, no, don't honor and surrender to Jesus. Don't see Jesus in the way that the Bible portrays him. He cannot be who he said he was. And you're going to feel the same pressure they felt, which was to reject Jesus and and act like he is not the Messiah that he claimed to be. When living as aliens and strangers, you're going to get rejected in the same way that the living stone himself got rejected. You know, um, when you and I go against the grain of something, it can cause injury. So when... uh, Any piece of wood that you take like this, there's a a certain direction that the grain of the wood goes in. And if you run your hand along this piece of wood in the direction of the grain, you're not gonna get it's gonna feel smooth. But you run your hand along this piece of wood and you go against the grain of the wood, you're gonna get lots of splinters. You're gonna get injured. And I think you see a profound picture here that whenever you and I go with the grain of the culture, it feels smooth. It feels like this is the direction I should be heading in. But whenever we go against the grain of our culture, it is going to injure you. It is going to be painful. It's going to be rocky. It's going to be tough. And so here's some ways I think that we this plays out. I think both genders, guys and girls, we struggle with sin, but in different ways. And one of the ways I see young men struggle with sin um, here is the church following Jesus um, can seem like an unmanly thing to do. It just does. Following Christ can seem just lame like wimpy, like not what real men do. And so you often, you'll begin to pull away and be like, you know, I, that's not really what I'll be a part of because just, it just seems kind of wimpy and not what men do, and so I'm going to pull away from that. Or maybe you do want to follow Christ, but you just don't, don't be too passionate about it. Don't be too um, charged up about it because that's not what real men do. Stay more in the background. Don't ever lead because, you know, that's not, I want to be considered like one of those weird Christians And you know that if you put yourself out there, you're going to be going against the grain of culture, and you're going to get injured. You're going to get mocked and ridiculed as a man. So young men tend to pull away. Here's the way in which this affects, I think, our young ladies. For girls, it is more socially acceptable to be passionate about the faith. It just is. So let's face it. In the church context... Uh, women seem more suited to this thing. And here's why. Because in the church, there is talking. There is lots and lots of talking, right, required of you. And, and girls are just better at that, right? We can all agree here. Um, when you go to the restrooms back here, the, the guys, there are two stalls in the restrooms. The girls have, like, seven. Don't ask me how I know that. I just know these things. And when the architects design the building, they're like, and here's why. Because what do girls do? They like to talk. So when one has to go to the bathroom, there's like four more that have to go. Okay? That's what happens. Guys don't do that. Right? So, so the builders are like, we need to make it big enough for an entire small group to fit in here. All right? Seven stalls for the girls, two for the guys. And so so girls are, are, I think, more okay with talking and doing things that, that take place in the church context. But um, the church, I think, just feels more kind of sentimental and a little more feminine sometimes. So young men want to pull away. But here's how this, I think, affects the ladies. Because it's more socially acceptable for girls to be passionate for Jesus, it creates in the young ladies this... This kind of person who appears on the outside to love Jesus and to love the church. You're living community. You're living on mission. You're doing impact. You're doing mission trips. You're serving. But then there's some dude who comes along who doesn't love Jesus, but he says he loves you. And I've seen so many girls drop their faith for some dude. Like, girls that I thought, like, I thought she was, like, totally plugged in. I thought she was totally on fire for God, totally passionate. And yet, just like that, she's gone. Because for a young woman, there's this, this, this ache or, or pull for someone to tell me, you know, tell me I'm loved. Tell me I'm, I am matter. Tell me I'm, I'm significant. Tell me I'm chosen. And that pull becomes so powerful that I've seen girls just drop it all for the sake of that dude. It doesn't matter what parents say. It doesn't matter what friends, pastors, leaders say to her. She will drop it all for that guy. And I've seen it time and time again. You see, being a God-fearing young woman in this culture, you will sometimes feel alone. You will go against the grain of the culture. You will get splintered. You will feel rejected. And so, the different ways in which I think this plays out in our lives. And so, this verse talks about Jesus being a cornerstone for some, but a stone of stumbling for others. And for some of you, right now, Jesus seems like your cornerstone. I just hope and pray that eventually you don't trip over him. There's a quote by. Juan Sanchez. He says, to everyone, Jesus, is either the most wonderful news or the most offensive. So my hope and prayer is that as you're in this youth group, that Jesus would truly be the cornerstone for you and would not eventually later on become a rock of offense or a stone of stumbling for you in your faith. Go ahead and finish with your last, uh, your, your discussion questions at your tables.